chapter 3, verse 19. Have you got your Bibles with you? Just so you know, if you have your Bible on your iPhone or whatever, I'm not offended by that. Uh, even if you're checking your Twitter or whatever, it's fine. I do encourage you to have a notebook, not because I'm a genius and because you need to be writing down what I say, but because occasionally God will interrupt you in the middle of a message and have something to say to you. And I want you to know to feel free to check out and to write down what God is saying to your heart. Write it down. The, the, the word talks about writing down the vision that he's put in you. And the reason is is because you and I are prone to forget. So keep a hand, you know, notebook handy. Keep your iPhone hat handy, your Blackberry, whatever, to, to write down what God might say to you. And if it has nothing to do with what I'm saying, don't, or don't worry, I'm not gonna be offended. Check out and check back in when, when God's done with you. Acts 3.19 It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Again, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Father, we want to encounter you in your word this morning. We open our hearts and our minds to what you might have to say to us, not just corporately, but individually. That word that you called the rhema word, that was an individual word for us individually, specifically, that that would come to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the city of Jerusalem was a buzz, okay? It was a little bit like World Cup, okay? Except for with, I don't think they had the Vavuzla, how do you say it? Vavuzla. <laughs> we were talking about it this morning that maybe Jesus is going to replace the shofar so that when at the time of the trumpet it'll actually be a Vavuzla. I can't even say it. Depending on what emphasis and syllable you use, you know, it becomes a different word. The, the, but they were all abuzz with it. And there were people from all over the world in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And they were there praying in their languages and talking in their languages just like you would see in inter, sort of an international gathering. But this was different this year because there were rumors and there were reports that a group of followers of this rabbi from Galilee had gathered in this upper room and that the Lord had, something had happened, that a wind had blown and that they saw fire in the air and that they heard people praying and speaking in their own languages and that these were these unlearned men. And, and yeah, there were some that said, yeah, these guys are just hammered, they're drunk. And there were those that said, but what meanest these things? What is this? And it was that day that Peter would stand up and say, no, no, this is that that was spoken of by the prophet. And thousands of people would get saved that day. And they would begin to have a church, a ecclesia, a gathering like we have here today. And in this gathering, it says that they lived with simplicity. And some words, they interchange simplicity and gladness of heart is the same word. And I think that's appropriate. There's, there's gladness in simplicity. There was simplicity of heart that they shared what they had, they gave to each other in need and they prayed and they had communion and they, they studied the word, they listened to the teaching of the apostles and, and the Lord was adding to their numbers daily and this church was born. And, and then into chapter three, where Peter and John are walking through the temple and they see this guy who is lame from birth and how he was, his legs were broken and he couldn't use them and he sat at the temple gate because he knew that they were gonna be I perceive anyway, there would be Christians there. That might be a good place for somebody to find help. And, and that day that Peter and John looked at him and he said that he looked at him and 
And it was that day that he was to be healed. And, and there was an amazing thing that happened. He walked up and he, he leaped and he praised God and he followed him and he walked with him. And, and then into chapter three, there's this sermon where Peter begins to talk about, hey, you guys that just killed Jesus, newsflash. The, the curtain inside the temple where this guy was sitting, probably at that point, maybe even still being repaired, it had been ripped in half when Jesus had died, when he said it is finished and the temple veil was torn in two. He said, it's no longer about that. And he begins to talk about why Jesus had to suffer and and what happened and why he was the son of God. And then he comes to this passage that we just read, which is the basic theme of what he was saying that day and a theme that I think that I know that we should focus in on, that we ourselves should take part in. It says that repent so that the times of refreshing, your sins may be wiped out in the times of refreshing may come on you. He said that this would speak to them nationally, right? As, as the national Jews, they would, they would speak to them nationally, right? But it also spoke to them individually as the spirit would lead in them that it would bring them refreshing. And I think that it speaks to you and me also individually. The Holy Spirit was always spoken of in this refreshing kind of way. I was, um, I was pedaling my bike uh, yesterday and I'm now going to use the word pedaling because riding does not, it's too passive of a verb. It denotes like a motorcycle. That is not what was happening, especially going uphill. It was not pretty. I needed a time of refreshing. <laughs> I was so hungry and thirsty. After I got into, I camped out over the Starbucks in Spring Hill, sat there, and I, if you saw the Twitter, I was really thinking, man, if I were just skinny, this would not be so hard. But... <laughs> As I'm, I'm contemplating these things, and you know, it's like you skinny guys think about you know tying a couple of twenty pound bags of potatoes on your back and then going uphill. Tell me that ain't gonna you know. Um, but I'm thinking I needed refreshing, and so I had the Gatorade, and that was very refreshing to me. The Spirit always was referred to in that way. Jesus in John seven would say to the to the uh, to them that if you come to me, if you thirst and drink. You'll never thirst again, and from your belly would f- uh, flow rivers of living water. And earlier in John, he would say to the woman at the well. The water that you seek, I've got water that you don't know of. It's the water that brings refreshing to you. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be filled. He spoke that of the Holy Spirit. And Peter here, the times of refreshing that were to come, the refreshing of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. Now, I would venture to guess that in a group this size, that there is more than one in here that might say, That's awesome. I I see it in the book of Acts. I get it. I understand it academically. But man, I am bone dry. I I have not felt refreshed. I feel dry. I feel like I am out of sorts. I feel like I'm away from the Lord. This promise of refreshing, man, what does it mean? How How can I find that refreshing in my life? Why am I so dry? There's three relationships that Jesus talked about with the Holy Spirit, okay? If you're a note taker, a good place to take notes. Three places, and by the way, I'm not a PowerPoint guy, so I'm sorry, you just have to go with me on this. Three relationships, John 14, Jesus said to them, verse 12, says that the Spirit was with you and soon he will be in you. With you. The Holy Spirit, before you are a Christian, 
is drawing you to him. Jesus says that no man comes to the Father that it's by me, that the Holy Spirit would draw you there. That it's, you probably thought, hey, yeah, my wife drugged me in here this morning. Newsflash, the Holy Spirit led you here today. Draw, draws us to him. That that tugging, that he's with us, he's beside us, that he's tugging at your heart, it's the with ministry of the Holy Spirit. Tugging on your heart saying, come to me, be, be saved, have your sins blotted out. Now the problem with that is that Genesis 6, God said that my spirit will not always strive with man. I mean, there comes a point where if, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you unto him and you're saying, you know, at church camp, made it out, didn't get saved that week, didn't, I didn't go down front, thank God, I didn't want to go down there and cry. It's almost like the story of the young uh, guy that he, a lawyer knocked on his door and he thought, oh, he's got this, the lawsuit is here, oh, I'm not going to answer the door. And he spent the next few weeks and months of his life trying to hide because he didn't want to get served with papers. Ah, he, he missed it again, missed it all, thank you. And then a few years later, he's lying on his deathbed and hooked up to machines and, and there's the lawyer standing at the door with the papers getting ready to serve him. And he's like, ah, I can't go anywhere now. Bring it on, bring on the lawsuit. And the lawyer says, lawsuit? I've been trying to chase you down because your aunt died and you've inherited $10 million dollars. So you got away from him. <laughs> nice work. Good job. Congratulations. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, saying, come to me, this man Jesus that was God, that come into your life and change you, you've avoided it once again. Nice work. Congratulations. What have you given up? Heaven, right? Eternity with him, a, a relationship with Christ. Congratulations. Nice work. Because the Holy Spirit at some point, and it talks about if you resist him enough for long enough, saying, I don't want him. As the Jews said that day, I, he will not be Lord over us. 2,000 years ago, eventually the Holy Spirit says, all right, I'm a gentleman. I'm not going to draw you anymore. Jesus referred to that. You might have heard of the phrase, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You have said to the Holy Spirit, no more. And at that point, from that moment on, you are doomed, you are damned. And the great news, if you thought you've committed this, the unpardonable sin, if you're even asking yourself that question, you haven't, okay? FYI, because the Holy Spirit is still drawing you. And if you are this morning and you're bone dry and you have not said to the Lord, yeah, I wanna come unto you and have that relationship with you and give my life over to you, I encourage you to say that today, that I will accept him, I will follow him and that time of refreshing for you with the with ministry. Now, not only in chapter 14, verse 12, did he say of John, I will, he will be with you. He also says that he will be in you. The Greek word for with is para, with, like, para, anyway, paragraph, we'll go, like, like, talk about that later. Um, but in you, and the Greek word for that is in, which is n actually, but in, it just means that. It means he's in you. He said that not only will he be with you, drawing you, but once you've accepted him, once you have believed upon him, that he will, the Holy Spirit will then dwell in you. That didn't happen in John 14, because Jesus had not died yet. Jesus had not resurrected. He had not been glorified. This was still the with ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the in ministry would happen in John 20. When he looked upon his disciples and he says he breathed on them. Jesus popped a little supernatural tic-tac and breathed on them. I bet Jesus had good breath. Pretty sure. He's like God. You know, if God breathes, I bet he's got good breath. He breathed on them and the Holy Spirit went in them. And he said, look, there's going to come a time where there's more to come. 
But at that moment, I believe that the disciples, the Holy Spirit had come in them and they were saved. That their lives were regenerated, that their hearts were made new, the Holy Spirit inside of them. But not only can you resist, follow me on this, the with ministry, resisting the with ministry of the Holy Spirit, you can, once the Holy Spirit is in you, grieve him. Ephesians 4 talks about don't grieve, Ephesians 4.30. He says, don't grieve. You can write it down and go there later if you choose. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit inside of you. I was watching Star Wars with my son. One of the proudest privileges I think a father can have is unpacking Star Wars with their sons. Daughters too, but my daughters had nothing. They saw it, it was like nothing. He saw Star Wars just flipping channels and it was like owned him, right? And I was remembering back in the 80s how especially in churches we were anything we could try to tie to Christianity, we were trying to tie it in. And we were tying in the Holy Spirit to the story of the salvation and the gospel to Star Wars, which is great. I mean, you know, Obi-Wan says, if you just uh, strike me down, I'll be more powerful than you can ever imagine. I get it, okay. But the problem with that is that it sort of, it reduces the Holy Spirit to a force, like gravity or a law or a, a, a weird ethereal thing. And, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's a person. He's a person. It's a he. It's a person. And he can be grieved. The anger was dealt with at the cross for your sins. It's not that when you grieve the Holy Spirit that he's away from you, but you can clearly grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And the way that that happens, get rid of, verse 31, all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, lying, cheating. When you are grieving, when you take the Holy Spirit, in fact, Paul would later say in Corinthians, if you've joined yourself to a harlot, you are joining the very Spirit of God in that action. It, of course it's going to grieve him. Not anger him, but it's like, man, that bums me out. We, I died on the cross. We, it's a grieving of the Holy Spirit. And if that is the thing that grieves him, doing those, those very sins, and, and I would presume that if you're in here and you're thinking, this is connecting with you at all, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some deep, morbid, Oprah level of self-examination. I'm talking about, you know, there's something that I just have not dealt with. The, the Lord has put it on my heart that I need to stop this. I need to get rid of it. I need to, it's, in this words, get rid of it. Maybe that's why you're feeling dry this morning. Because you have grieved the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you. And by the way, that word get rid of, I think in King James it might say cut off. or It's the Greek word airos. It's the very word that when Jesus it says that he lifted up his head in Luke 11, it's airos. When you're talking about getting rid of it, I'm not talking about taking a hatchet. It's lifting it up to the Father, to the Son, saying, I'm done. I can't stop this on my own. I can't. I'm giving it to you. I'm getting rid of it. Where am I putting it? I'm handing it over to the Father. When Jesus had talked about in John, when he said to, uh, the, 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 talking about the vineyard and, and that he would prune you, and it actually is that same word, iros, and it talks about, it was the, the, the picture of a, of a, uh, a in a vineyard where they had, the grapes sometimes get weighted down and they're heavy and they have to trim them up a little bit, but then lift them up out of the mud so that they can grow. It's the iros ministry, it's getting rid of it. 
giving it to the father. And if that's what grieves him, here's what makes him happy. Be kind and compassionate, verse 32. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. What happens when we grieve the Holy Spirit? Ask David. You see, David, if you remember the story, was, should have been out battling. He should have been out at war. But he wasn't. He's taking the summer off. Uh, I got that figured out. So he's back home. He's in his palace. And he's looking over the edge. And he looks down and he sees this young woman taking a bath. And her name was appropriately Bathsheba. And he looks down and he's like, dude, who is this woman? And so, and you remember the story. He wants to, he conspires. He's like, I got to get rid of her husband. And so he brings, oh no, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all, after having relations with her, she finds out she's pregnant. You remember the story? I'll, I'll get the flannel graph out if I need to. But he, he has relations with her. She becomes pregnant. No, no, now what am I going to do? I'm going to be found out. The sin. And so he tries to cover it up by bringing home her husband, saying, hey, siesta. Come home, have a little conjugal visit with your wife, and hang out for a little bit here, and then he can blame it on the husband. Well, Uriah comes home, and just like a good soldier is like, I'm not going to do this, not while my brothers are out warring on the front lines. And so it says he slept on the steps of the palace because he wasn't about to do it. And so David conspires again, and he sends for Joab and the general, and they send him back out again. They say, look, basically on the count of three, we're all going to run back, but we're not going to tell Uriah this. And he's going to get killed. And David murdered him. He had sinned. He had grieved the Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 38, listen to what he says. You can turn there with me slowly or quickly. And in verse 1, he says, Psalm 38. This was what he wrote right after this moment, during this time of his life. Actually, verse 3. It says, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. In verse four, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. There's this burden. I, I'm in this sin and I keep digging the hole deeper. And, and it literally denotes there are some scholars that feel like he actually had a disease of some sort. Like he is, this isn't metaphorical literal, racking his body. It was this heavy. His skin was oozing. It stunk, and it was heavy, and it was bone dry. He says, my back is, verse 7, filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light is gone from my eyes. David was in a dry time, so dry that this was the song that came out of him. He had grieved the Holy Spirit. David went through an unbelievably dry time. He had grieved the Holy Spirit. And my, not a heavy condemnation thing to you this morning, is to say, if you, you know, again, I'm not talking about you got to go on Oprah and have him dig deep, maybe Dr. Phil, and figure out what's wrong with you. You know what it is. If it's, if it's you and this is resonating with you, that if you've grieved the Holy Spirit. And in a minute, we're going to talk about what do we do? But before that, the third relationship. Not only can he be with you, right? Draw you to him. Not only can he be in you and you can grieve him, but then in Acts, when we read about it, because Jesus said, hey, go here. And then this extra relationship, this, this other relationship with the Holy Spirit that you can have would happen. It's the upon ministry, epi, that the Holy Spirit will come 
on you. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit would come on Moses, come on Samson, come on David, David's mighty men, to empower them to do mighty works. That ministry of the Holy Spirit is still happening today. The ministry of him coming upon us, not so we can run laps, per se, not that there's anything wrong with that, but to empower you, it says, to be my witnesses. It's in the book of Acts chapter one. The Spirit will come upon you that I will give you power to be my witnesses. And when that Spirit comes upon you, and, and many of you have experienced that relationship with him, what you understand is what Paul talked about in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, that not only can you grieve the Holy Spirit, but you can also quench the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was a little guy, what quenching the Spirit meant was in church, if we were talking, mom would sometimes lean over or sometimes it would be the pastor from the stage, you kids be quiet, we don't want to quench the Spirit. Like God would get distracted or something, right? Quenching the Spirit isn't just talking during service so that the Spirit can't move. In fact, I would venture to say I'm not even sure that's it at all. Quenching the spirit, because the spirit, the metaphor of spirit as water, there's the metaphor of spirit as fire. Not like the, you know, fire gun, I'm going to burn you, but fire as in providing life for you. Light, fire. We don't understand that because we turn on the light switch. We hit the microwave and cook stuff. We don't understand that fire brought life. It represented life to people when these words were written. And so what does it mean then to quench the spirit? to extinguish the light. Verse 20, there are some scholars that would say, well, it means don't despise prophesyings. Maybe. Those look like two completely separate thoughts. Do you know, it's almost like he's giving a to-do list to the uh, church at Thessalonica, and he says in verse 19, don't quench the spirit, period. Verse 20, don't uh, despise prophesying, period. And then he just gives off this list. Like if I'm going out of town, I give my kids a list to do things. Actually, I've never done that to my kids. When the, neighbor, when the kids watch the cats next door, okay, they get a list. Do this, do this, do this. It's God's little list there, but don't quench the spirit. Go with me to the book of Luke, and I want to show you what I think that quenching the spirit is. And you know what? Pray about it if it resonates with you. But remember, light. I'm sorry, the book of Matthew first. It's right next to Luke. If you got the Luke, just turn left. Go two doors down. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus said to them, you are the light of the world. Interesting. Jesus would say that I'm the light of the world, right? But he says, you are the light of the world. He inside of us, we provide light for the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. If you have light, fire, and you put it under a bowl, it extinguishes it. It quenches it. The work of the Spirit in you quenched when you, in the same way it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I would present to you this morning that the light of the world in us is metaphorical. The literal of that, these are two descriptions, two sides of the same coin. Your good deeds, your serving your brothers and sisters, your what you did this week with 
this, uh, the, the, the flood relief helping Virginia, what you did in Haiti, what you've done in Africa, what you've done for your neighbors, for your own family, that that is your good works. It is your light shining. And when we don't do that, when we don't serve our brothers like that, we are putting our light under a bowl and extinguishing it. Let your light shine before me that they'll see your good works and not glorify you, but glorify God in heaven. It isn't about us. It's a a great witnessing tool. And the beautiful thing, here's what this has to do with quenching and with being refreshed, by the way, is that when you let the Spirit move through you, and if you've ever done this before, participated in it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If I were to bring Hannah downstairs right now and have her talk about her experience in Haiti, you talk about your experiences when you've done this, you understand that when you are serving others, there's a refreshment that comes from it. There's an invigoration. Ben and I were riding back from Bellevue this week and he was uh, talking about, and Ben just got back from Haiti and here's Ben again. Three months over there as a project manager and now we're over there in, in uh, in Bellevue doing this work, and he said, but there's so much more of a, it feels more rewarding. I can't remember the word he used, but it was another word for refreshing. It feels better when I do this. There's a ministry that happens when you do that, and if you have not actively been participating in serving those that have nothing, those that cannot possibly repay you, like Luke, I think it's chapter six, when he talks about, hey, if you wanna be blessed, throw a banquet, invite people that cannot possibly repay you. Don't invite the rich and the powerful so that you can be seen in public with them. Invite the poor, the oppressed, the sick, the vulnerable, that your father may bless you. And if you've ever been a part of that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and it's true. It's what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter six when he says, to give and it will be given unto you. Now, I know this has been used for offerings for the last 35 years. That is not accurate. It is not what he's talking about. He actually starts in verse 37. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given unto you. Talking about the spirit inside of you, and a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. For with the, the measure that you mete it out, it will be meted, it will be measured back to you. Here's how that works. Jesus, when he went to the woman at the well, he said to her that from you would flow rivers of living water. He said it again in John 7, from you, from I, rivers of living water would flow from us. But he said it in the context of come unto me if you're thirsty, and I will give you. In the kingdom, the economics of the kingdom, the beatitudes where everything is backwards, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, This is backwards too because you don't drink from the outside in, you drink from the inside out. And quenching the spirit, when you turn off the faucet of the spirit through you, if you and I are a conduit of his spirit connected to the vine that fruit might come out, that the water might flow from us and I turn off the faucet by sitting still, by not saying what the Lord is asking me to say, by not doing what the Lord is asking me to do, then no wonder you're dry because you're not drinking. From the inside out is where that water would come, not from the outside in. And as that water flows through you, I can't explain it, but I can tell you this, it's a supernatural truth 
that you will feel refreshed. And if you are quenching the spirit, if I'm quenching the spirit, it puts me in a position where, of course, I'm going to be dry. You don't have to know what you're doing, okay? You just have to say, I'm willing to go, and God will build it around you, and you will experience the times of refreshing that are upon you, that come upon you. And I want to say this too, because I know there's a lot of people in here that are in need themselves, that, that you yourself have been wronged, or you've got a, a crisis in your own life. And I want you to know that one of the best times to serve is right then. I saw it this week. I saw Dean, whose own family is, is struggling right now with, with sickness in their own family. They're, they're battling for their son's life. And I found Dean over in Bellevue with a screw gun serving Virginia for two days, three days, who knows how many days, working, serving not quenching the Holy Spirit in his life, but letting the Holy Spirit out of his life. It reminds me of 1 Samuel 23. The men of Keilah, David, they're surrounded by the Philistines on one side. They got Saul on the other side, and David inquired of the Lord. There was a town down the road called Keilah. It's kind of like Franklin to Spring Hill. You know, should we go and save the guys up in Franklin in Keilah? And God told David, yes. And his men were like, dude, we got way more going on right here. We're already afraid here. Won't we be more afraid there? We can't go to this group of people that they they can't possibly repay us. And David inquired again of the Lord. He said, yeah, you gotta go. You've gotta go and liberate these people, this town of Keilah. And so David and his men did that and they defeated the Philistines in that town. And they were, it says they carried off, 1 Samuel 23, they, they carried off the livestock of Keilah the meat, the food, the restoration. It was, and if you're a warrior back then, it wasn't like you could have somebody sending food to the front lines. This was a huge prize. It was food that God had provided for them because they had provided for them. When Jesus was at the well, the woman in Samaria said, Samaritan, he, he, he was sitting on the edge of the well. He sent the, the guys into town to get water and to get, or to get food because he was hungry. He said he was tired. But the woman at the well came, the Samaritan woman, where we get this statement of drink of this water and this water will flow from you and you'll never thirst again. And Jesus poured into that woman. His disciples then a few hours later show back up, they've got the food and Jesus isn't hungry anymore. They're like, aren't you hungry, Jesus? He said, I have food that you know not of. There was another a uh, beautiful picture of what he painted there. But here's the picture that I want you to get. When Jesus was tired, when he was thirsty, when he was hungry, he poured into someone else and it refreshed him. So that when they came back to bring him food, he said, he's not hungry anymore. He's not tired because it was invigorating that he served these people. If you are in a situation where you're down. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're battling it. And I, I want to tell you this morning that, first of all, I, I understand. I mean, I truly do. If, if she wronged you, if he wronged you, if this thing is not working out like you planned, I get it and I understand and I empathize with it. And I say to you that don't quench the spirit in your life. It's no better time than right then 
to look out. I'll give you 10 easy steps right now. You can write this down to how to deal with depression, to to deal with down, to deal with battling and these things that might happen in your life. Here's 10 easy steps. Number one, do something for somebody else. Number two, repeat step number one nine more times. It's that simple. I'd love to make it more difficult. But when you're doing it, it just invigorates you. So if you're sitting here today, like I am, and you would say, I've been resisting the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the with ministry that's drawing me in. Or maybe you have been uh, grieving the Spirit because you've, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, you believe in him, but you haven't been dealing with a few issues in your life that you know what they are. And so you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're taking the Spirit with you into places that he didn't want you to go doing things he didn't want you to do, and it's grieving him. Not, not anger at you, but grieving him. Man, I paid the price for this. Why would you do this? Grieving the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you have had the Holy Spirit come on you, but then you've quenched him because you haven't been participating in, and doing what the fruits of the Spirit are, being kind, being compassionate. Quenching the Spirit is real simple. Whatever the Spirit is doing, which is forgiving, which is loving, which is serving. When you stop that in your life, you have quenched the spirit. And maybe you're dry because of that. And so what should we do? It's really simple. Peter tells us in Acts 3, right where we started, verse 19, he says, repent. Repent. Now repent isn't like what we grew up on necessarily, where I got to go down front and cry. And, you know, I mean, there's, there are fruits, meat for repentance and all that. I get that. But repent is a very simple word. It is a, I'm changing my mind, changing my direction. So I have been quenching the spirit because, man, I love what conduit's doing when we're going out and serving. It's not really into that. I'd rather just watch. And, but God has been tugging at your heart and you've been quenching it in your heart. And, Maybe God's calling you to go overseas or calling you to go down the street and you're quenching it. It's real simple. You just repent. You just change your mind. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I was going this direction. I'm gonna go a different direction. Or maybe the Holy Spirit has been drawing you and you've been resisting him because you've got a life you wanna live. You've got plans. You just, you kind of like where it's at right now. Then, I would say to you, stop resisting the Spirit. Repent. Just change your mind. I I, I wasn't thinking that Jesus was going to be a good option for my life, but now I understand that he is. I'm changing my mind. I'm repenting, and I'm following him. And of course, if you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and you are battling with a specific sin and thing that you know that God has called you to put down, to lift up to him, to give it away back to him, it's really simple. You just repent. Change your mind. And the times of refreshing that he has promised for you and for me can be yours. If you're bone dry, you don't have to be. It wasn't meant to be that way. Jesus said, I came to give you life, to give it more abundantly. But maybe you've quenched it. Maybe you've grieved him. And I'd like to read this to you. Because David did this. David repented. It was a year later in Psalm 51. Nathan the prophet had come to David. And he said, hey, there was, a, there was this rich guy that had all these sheep. And he said, 
he had a friend coming, and he wanted to prepare a, a, a lamb for him. So this rich guy with all these sheep said, I'm going to kill my neighbor's sheep, my poor neighbor who only had one little lamb. I'm going to kill that lamb and take it for my own and serve it. And David said, that man will surely die. By the way, when you are in sin and you're battling something in your own life, you're always going to be harsh with others. Stealing a lamb from your neighbor, that wasn't a capital offense in the Judaic law. David was being harsh. And when you're battling with a sin, it's easy to be harsh with others because it makes you feel better about your own deal. But David, when Nathan said, that man is you, you're the guy. And David, it says, repented of his sin. And from that, we get Psalm 51. David, living a year of dryness with stinky skin and festering wounds and aching bones and dry, writes this, Psalm 51, 8, listen to this. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And in verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew, listen to this, a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If we repent, that time of refreshing that's promised will come. And so as we worship, I'm available to pray with you, but you don't need me. Jesus died that you didn't need a priest. It's you and Jesus. We have communion available to you. No better way than to bring back the joy of your salvation than to remember the sacrifice that Jesus himself paid and that's powerfully done in communion. But this is between you and Jesus now. And if you've been resisting him, man, I encourage you to stop and to accept Jesus, believe in him, follow him as your Lord and as your savior in a time of refreshing. If you have grieved him, I ask you to seek the Lord and repent of it, to stop it, to give it over to him and to replace it with love and with kindness and with giving. And if you've been quenching him, man, I encourage you to take the bowl off of your light and let it shine. Not that they would give glory to you, but they would give glory to God in heaven and that that time of refreshing would come into your life. It's really simple. And as we worship, have a time with the Lord. If you want to go to the side somewhere and pray just a a moment with you and the Lord, that's fine. Let him move in your life and let that time of refreshing that he promised come to you that the Holy Spirit would flow from within you.